Welcome to the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. I'm your host, Claire Sieber, global career and leadership coach, facilitator, speaker, and founder of Eating Your Cake 2, a business focused on helping you take control of your career and leadership success. Right here on this podcast, you'll learn how to amplify your influence, accelerate your career growth, create real presence, and have a true impact by learning the tools and strategies that you need to show up with more courage, more confidence, and more clarity. Are you ready? Let's do it. Meet Sarah Cordner. Sarah is a senior leader and subject matter expert in e-discovery consulting and project management and has worked for a number of top tier professional service firms and law firms over her 20 plus year career in that space. Sarah is also a qualified coach and has developed a passion for enabling professionals, particularly women, to develop into the leaders they would like to be led by. Her mantra is, leadership of others starts with leadership of self. Sarah has also authored the Amazon bestseller called From Surviving to Thriving, A Woman's Guide to Success and Self-Leadership in the Workplace, which provides a simple yet powerful framework set in a professional context to help you overcome self-doubt, reframe your thinking, improve communication, and ultimately develop and exert your leadership muscle. I think you are going to love this episode of the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. Let's dive in. All right. Well, welcome, Sarah, to the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. I'm very excited to have you here today and even more excited to hear all the wonderful things you're going to share with the listeners about self-leadership and the power of connection. Thank you, Claire. It's wonderful to be here with you. Awesome. Now, we were having a brief chat before we sort of hit record, and we obviously got to know each other a few weeks ago. And you've got a, as I've just shared, I shared a little bit of a, a bio about you and the wonderful things that you do before we sort of moved into this part of the podcast. But for those who don't know you, do you want to give the listeners a little bit of a background just on sort of who you are, what you do, and, and what a day in your life is like at the moment? Would love to. So uh, I live in Melbourne with my husband and my almost 21-year-old daughter, which is which is fantastic. I've been working remotely since COVID started. So I currently work, my day is now largely remote. I occasionally go into the office, but largely remote. And my background is in the e-discovery space. And that that is somewhat of a, a big word, but it's 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 basically helping lawyers take all the data and documentation that they have when they have big legal matters and putting them into a database so they can review, they can analyse, and it's all done online. So the beauty of the job that I do is that when COVID did hit, it was already online. So there was no great sort of move that we had to make to get to, to get to that point. So I've been at industry about 20 years. And during that time, I've worked in a variety of organisations, three of the big four consulting firms, a couple of law firms, a couple of top tier law firms, and also a couple of vendors that provide these services to clients. So I've got quite a history in this space. And I've worked my whole life since I left uni. I had one year off to have my daughter. And ever since that point, I went straight back to work. So my career has very much been part of my life. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I know you've written a book as well, which we'll touch a little bit more about, about later, but you're deeply passionate. I know about the the concept of self-leadership and, and the power of self-leadership. But I think, and I'd be interested on your thoughts on this, I think that 
those words, people can attach very different meaning to what's, what it really means to lead self or what self-leadership actually means. So would love to hear your thoughts on what does that really mean to you to, to lead oneself or, or to the definition of self-leadership? Yeah, that's a really good question. What it means to me, it's about who you are, what you stand for, you know, what motivates you and as importantly, what triggers you when things don't go so, so well. So that's, that's that part of it. Emotional intelligence, it's around, it's effectively self-awareness. That's what self-leadership is. And then importantly, once you understand who you are and what you are and what you stand for Mm. and what triggers you, you can improve, you can make improvements. So you're aware enough to go, this isn't working for me. I need to make this change in my behaviour or or whatever it might be to improve your outcome. So that's that's really what self-leadership means to me in a nutshell. Fantastic. And we, I actually did a podcast episode probably a couple of months or so ago now. I think it, I think it was actually called How Self-Aware Are You Really? Because it's not easy to do, right? Like it's easy to sit and, and talk about the concept of self-leadership and, and understanding who I am and what I stand for and my strengths and my weaknesses and my triggers. But in practice, it's quite an excavation process, isn't it? It's an ongoing process. It is, and it's not something that we teach in schools, or we certainly didn't during my daughter's school years and certainly didn't when I was at school. But it's so important because it's a whole basis on on who we are and how we operate in in the broader community. So, you know, it's one of those subjects like finance understanding that I think actually needs to be brought into schools so people actually understand why people are behaving like that and and how to, to make outcomes better for you personally and for others. It's really, really important. But it's not, it's not taught per se. And I think a lot of the coaching and, and the training I do that, that works on self-leadership, so many light bulbs go off when people start to understand, oh, that's why that works like that. That's why I think like that. That's why that person's behaving like that. whole new world opens up to them. Absolutely. And have you got any of your own light bulb moments, Sarah, or examples that you can give of your own kind of self-leadership journey or self-awareness journey? Like what are some of the things you've learned about yourself in that, in that experience? Yeah, I think the biggest sort of light bulb moment was when I, and I'm very, I look at, I'm very visual, so I can look at graphics and I like seeing things on paper. That's the way I sort of learn. And I saw a graphic called above and below the line. And it's, it's such a simple thing, but it shows all the behaviours that are below the line, things like procrastination, anger, not making decisions, all those things that hold us back are below the line. The things that are above the line are the opposite of that. So, you know, making decisions, being positive, focusing on outcomes, not not holding grudges, all that sort of stuff. And as soon as I realised that that invisible line is where you either basically progress in life or you fall down in a heap and as soon as I realized that my whole mindset completely Mm -hmm. changed and that's what I've been sort of coaching you know the people at work that I coach because it's easy to fall into that below the line everything's going badly but that's where you're going to stay if you keep focused on that once you realize there is a another another way of thinking and that we all have choice that's the other thing that I think was really important in what I learned that just because something's like that now doesn't mean you can't change it. We all have choices. But counter to that, you've also got to understand that there are things that you can control and things you can't. And in order to get outcomes, you can't be focused on the stuff you can't change. You've got to be focused on the things you can change. And this all came out of this graphic. And that, that was really powerful. And that was sort of the light bulb moment in my self-awareness journey. 
Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of sort of above the line, below the line thinking. And, and you're right, it's we're human beings. It's we, we, we all fall below the line sometimes because of, you know, insecurities or triggers or things that might happen. And, and particularly the last couple of years with the pandemic and these kind of ever-changing goalposts. And right when we think we're, you know, got a handle on it, so another spanner gets thrown in the works. And I think for a lot of people it you know, we've all had periods where we've fallen below the line. And so I think acknowledging that is is important and, and then processing the reasons why. But then, as you said, we have a choice and then and then making the firm decision to choose to reframe my thinking, to choose to tap into a more constructive thought pattern or mindset to help lead myself forward instead of sort of stay below the line using the graphic that you've been talking to. Yeah, I think that's a, a great example. And so if we were to take this then a, a layer further now and think about it from an organisational lens, so, you know, self-leadership at an individual level and the power of that for our own lives is huge, but what do you think the impact is for organisations that have got a really strong culture of self-leadership? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and I'm not sure that it's ever been framed like that. We don't talk about bringing in people that have good self-leadership skills, but they're really, really important. And I think what it, the difference it makes is that if you're self-aware and you understand the above and below the line uh, framework and the mindset, you can start to see patterns in other people's behaviours. Of course, they said to me, over time, you'll start to see the same patterns in people. And I thought, really? But you do. And because you're self-aware enough you can of your own behaviours and triggers and what, what gets you motivated and what doesn't, you can start to see the same patterns in others. So you can start to see when people are motivated by the way they're acting or behaving or what they're, what they're ending up doing. And counter to that, you can also see when people are losing motivation or they're not happy and, and the behaviours that they're exhibiting. So... That self-awareness piece in an organisation, it, it just basically, it's like a ripple effect. If you're self-aware, then you'll be able to understand how other people are, at least get a, get a, a lens into, into some of the behaviours that don't seem quite right and, and start to work on those and start to, to, to really get to the, the crux of what needs to be reframed to make that person perform better and be happier in their role. That's really the key, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was having this conversation yesterday, actually, with a with another client around, you know, I love this, this mindset formula around which which is basically little p equals big P minus I. And that stands for performance equals potential minus interferences. And, and I love that formula. You've probably heard it before, because so much of what we see in people, we, we see their performance. In terms of organisations, even we see the performance of an organisation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is its potential. That doesn't necessarily mean that that is that individual's potential, that department's potential, that organisation's potential. And so what we need to do as leaders, as coaches, as subject matter experts is continue to ask the question around like, what are the interferences that might be getting in the way of anyone 
being able to lead to their full potential. And often that, that ends up being those pieces that are so closely linked to self-awareness because it is the things like, how am I thinking? How is my thinking impacting my behaviour? How is my mindset impacting my ability to problem solve? How is my current attitude or lens on things impacting the impact then that I'm having on the people around me and then therefore the results that we're getting and the, and then ultimately the potential of the organisation. So it does continue to just come back so much, doesn't it, to our, to our thoughts, our behaviours, our beliefs, and knowing enough about that to be able to lead ourselves but then also to lead others. And what it does is you go, you go down a bit of a, a rabbit warren in the sense that the behaviour is the outcome of what's going on. So the, what's actually occurring is not the behaviour, it's what's causing the behaviour. And that's when you start to mm. dig a bit and go, okay, this process is really laborious and really boring and really causing problems. That's why that person's not motivated. Or this particular client is causing a lot of angst. So we need to make sure that we're managing that client a bit because it's causing that person to be stressed. So the behaviours are the outcomes and a really good leader can get in underneath that surface layer and actually work out what is causing the problem in the first place. And that's that's the key to good leadership, mm. I, I believe. Not looking at the surface, it's looking at what's really causing and not, not treating the, the wound with a bit of, you know, with a Band-Aid. It's actually making sure that wound never opens up again. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. And what, there's probably people listening in, in right now thinking, well, that's nice, but like, where the hell do I start to actually, you know, this is, this all sounds wonderful and I get it and I see the power of it, but where the hell do I start? So what, you know, what are you, what kind of practical thoughts or, or recommendations do you have about that? That's a really good question. So I think there's two parts of that question or two answers to that question. I think the first part is you've got to make sure as a leader that you have a really solid team in place because that team makes or breaks mm. the output that you provide to the client or your customers at the end of the day. So you've got to make sure that, you, and this again takes a lot of work, it's not it's not a five-second spitty, you've just got to make sure you've got the right skill sets, you've got the right balance of technical versus, again, more of that people-facing because often technical experts aren't particularly people-focused got to make sure you've got the right balance. You've got to make sure as hard as it can be that you don't have people on the bus that shouldn't be on the bus. So you need to be managing poor performance or non-performance. So that's one part of it. And that is a lot of energy and effort. But once you get that core team, then you've got a really good base to, to look at then what needs to be potentially changed on a structural in a structural sense in terms of process and procedures for example technologies that may or may not be working for you the way that that you you necessarily going to market for example with clients and the, the the types of clients that you're attracting potentially so it's partly core team solid really solid individuals that can back you all the way and you can back them all the way and then what's going on in terms of structures in terms of workflows in terms of technology that you can get that really solid team to then focus on because if you've got a lot of noise going on in the in the the non-people space there's no way a poor team is going to be able to deal with it so you've got to have the two sort of linked together yes yeah absolutely and it's interesting isn't it how how all of these part you know we can't we can't have one one of the wheels not turning the right no, way. Doesn't 
Otherwise, the whole thing is just going to topple over. So it's we really need to, as leaders, also be able to take a step back, kind of off the dance floor, looking down over the balcony at all of those moving parts. But but then even even more so to, to ask that deeper question, I think of ourselves around how am I also contributing to the current situation that I find myself into? Because it's exactly. so easy to say, you know, if this system just worked better or this process was better or this person was better, my life would be easier. But I think as leaders, the really hard thing to do is to look in the mirror and also ask ourselves, well, how am I contributing to the current state of play? Yes. And what might I need to, to do a little bit differently in order to be able to move things forward the way that I need them to as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's critical. Yeah. And what do you, what impact do you think that the, the pandemic and the last, the last couple of years in particular has had on our ability to, to lead, to lead ourselves, but also to, to lead our teams? Because obviously we've had, you know, that un, volatility, uncertainty, like constant change and, and, you know, people's resilience thresholds have been really pushed to the limit. And, and so what are your observations around, around that over the last few years? I think that if you had a reasonably good level of self-awareness pre-pandemic, then that mm. sets you up very well or in a better place than, than someone that didn't. So I think it's really stretched, as you say, it's stretched all our resilience, our tolerance, our, all our emotions have been bent every which way because of what's been going on in the world. So I think someone that, that possessed self-awareness prior, theoretically is probably in a better spot to deal with the pandemic and, and the effects of COVID than someone that wasn't really quite sure who they were or what they were or why they were triggered by certain things prior because that would have only exacerbated the problem. So I think that's the case. So I think it was possibly easier for people that did have possessed that emotional intelligence and that self-awareness. And I also think it then it meant that people in that sphere potentially started to ask some questions around, is this really where I want to be? Is this, you know, it opened up another sphere of thinking around, okay, I'm really happy in this current situation. If, if things get back to normal, do I want them to stay are they are now or am I going to change my work habits, for example? So I think it, it to some degree, I think the, the pandemic was positive for some people because it did make them reassess where they were and, and make some positive changes. Like my, me, for example, I, I for X amount of years, I won't even mention, I would get on the train and go to work every single day. And I didn't realise until I stopped doing that how much stress that was actually from the start, the minute I got up, what am I wearing, my makeup, get out the door, rush, oh, I'm late, look. It, it completely stressed me from the point that I got out of bed. But I don't have that stress anymore because I'm not doing the commute. So it, it, for me, that's been a huge revelation. So the pandemic from that perspective now, I have far less stress than I used to have. That's a positive. The people that perhaps were already a bit just just not particularly self-aware, not quite sure where they were going, the pandemic could have actually caused them a lot more grief and damage and they're the ones we really need to make sure that we're, we're looking after. Mm, absolutely. I resonate a lot with what you're saying as well around 
almost not knowing what we don't know sometimes until it's taken mm. off the table, particularly with that commute pace. And I know there are a lot of yeah. people that, you know, there's, there's a lot of conversation happening at the moment around organisations trying to work out this new way of working. And you've got people that only want to work from home. You've got people that kind of only want to be in the office. You've got people that want a hybrid of the two and trying to find what's right for each individual and also serves the needs of the organisation is, is a real challenge. But I know for a lot of people that, getting that commute time back is just something that they didn't they didn't know they didn't know how badly they needed or perhaps to your point how much stress that had was actually putting them under each day mm. from the moment they're getting mm. up to getting ready getting driving to the the park and ride or whatever getting on the bus getting on the tram getting on the train getting to the office rush 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 you know an hour each or more each way both days and the impact each way every day and the impact that that's actually having on you when you and then you take it off the table and you realize wow <laughs> wow I've got a little bit more time to breathe yes so that that was a huge revelation because mm. I had no idea that that stress I thought the stress was when I was getting into the office it was actually part of it was building as I was physically yeah. getting there yeah so interesting isn't it and yeah. I think you you're touching on a on a great space as well in terms of just obviously with the, with the pandemic, but also how, how we work and, and the way we connect with people as well and, and this idea of just the power of, of connection in general. And I think for a lot of people, again, through the pandemic, we feel that we lost a little bit of connection with people. And I, I mean, I, you could argue even further, further before the pandemic, the impact of social media as well and, and the impact that that has had on the power of real and genuine connection you know like we live in a world now where we're more connected than ever and and so you know you're able to work you know you're able to no longer have to get on the train and go to work you can completely sit in your home office fully connected through your phone through your email through slack microsoft teams you name it it's on it's happening we're more connected than ever yet for a lot of people we feel more isolated and more lonely and disconnected than ever so I'm curious to to hear your thoughts around that either your own sort of personal experience with that over the last couple of years but also your thoughts on that from an organizational lens yes it's it again this is sort of a double-edged sword mm. so from my personal perspective and and because I have a remote team anyway they're not physically in Melbourne so for me again it wasn't a huge leap I'm used to sitting and, and talking over turns mm -hmm. and, and connecting mm -hmm. via shared screens and things to, to work things through. So it wasn't a huge change. But I look back and I think to myself, you know, if I was starting out as a grad or as a, a junior straight out of, you know, uni or school and I was coming into an organisation and I wasn't able to actually connect on day one, that's a really daunting because a lot, of, mm. a lot of the joy that you get from working, particularly when you're a bit younger and you haven't got all those responsibilities you have when you're a bit older, is, is the connection you have with other people that you meet at work. I mean, that was a huge part of my life when I was younger. And that would be very difficult, I think, for some particularly because they, they, they don't get that on day one. And I know, again, I look at, you know, harking back to that whole connection thing, people that started uni, like my daughter who started in 2020, she was lucky she got a VCE, but 2020, uni, no, no uni. There was no, there was uni online. So she didn't, she hasn't had that bonding experience again that you do when you, you meet people out of school, whole different life. So I think the, the challenges for organisations is how do you bring in particularly new people or the juniors that you want to bring up through the ranks and give a, a really good start? 
how do you do that when you're physically not together? And I think that's been a big challenge for organisations. And that, again, it takes a different type of leader to realise that that is actually a huge chunk that you really need to focus on. Couldn't agree with you more. And that, and then, you know, adding to that as well, people's personal preferences, like we were saying, you know, you've got some yes. people that really thrive on physically being in the office, having physical yeah. interaction with people in terms of I can yeah. see you in 3D, we can go and grab a coffee together. Yes. They yes. feel like they feel more enabled to solve problems more quickly, more effectively that way. Yes. Yet then on the flip side to that, you've got people that are like, no, I'm more, I'm more efficient, I'm more productive, I feel, I feel better off at home. And trying to find the balance of yeah. that whilst maintaining a genuine sense of connection. Because I know I know, for example, even yeah. clients that I work with at the moment, they are just exhausted by the back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back Zoom meetings that they're having every day and, and, I, and they miss right. the spontaneity of in-person connection, yes. right? Like we just have both happen to be in the kitchen at the same time, you know, with our lunch in the microwave, let's have a chat. Right. Whereas now for a lot of people you have to schedule that time. Hey, can I schedule 10 minutes for a Zoom call just to check in? And it sort of loses the feeling of, of not only spontaneity, but it loses that feeling of it being as genuine as what it was. It totally does. It's harder to build rapport and trust, mm. particularly if you've never, I mean, I've hired people that I haven't met yet, you know, over pandemic. And, and it, it, it takes a bit more to build that trust and rapport when you're not physically there with them. So it's 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 basically put out there a whole lot of different challenges mm -hmm. that leaders didn't have prior and probably never even contemplated prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And and this is the way of the world now. So I think the, the the outcome of this is it has changed. Life has changed. The way we work has changed. The way we interact with people has changed. We've got to embrace it because mm -hmm. if we don't, we're going to get left behind. It, it's, as, it's as simple as that. I agree with you on that, absolutely. And it, it is interesting because I, I do speak with people that will say, oh, but it's just not the same and online is never going to be as good as in, as in person, so we've just got to wait for those opportunities where we, can, where we can be together in person. And I'm like, well, I hear that, but if that's only something that happens twice a year, are we saying that we that we're only reserving the opportunity to to try to build real connection with people for twice a year? Because that's probably not yeah, going to exactly. go. It's not going to last us very long or serve us very well in the medium term if we're choosing mm. to hold that frame of mindset around I can only exactly. connect if it's in person. So I agree with you completely in that we, we might, we might have the belief that nothing's better than being in person, but it doesn't, it mm. doesn't, it doesn't mean that we can't still find ways to build genuine rapport, connection, humanize ourselves with our teams online as well. Yeah, absolutely. You've not, you've, you've articulated perfectly. We have to, we have to go with the new yeah. flow. We, we, we just have to acknowledge yeah. that. And so what do you think, in terms of sort of this, this connection piece, but also I think just the way the way that human beings tend to be wired as well as we do naturally gravitate to people that we like. And when I say people that we like, I mean probably yeah. people that we feel kind of get us or we've got some commonalities, yeah. which, you know, as you would know, goes, goes hand in hand with building rapport and building trust because we sort of feel like, you know, these people really understand me and what I'm about. But how do you think... And so we see that then obviously stem into hiring practices, 
And as much as we talk about the importance of diversity mm, and, mm. and broadening our echo chambers and things like that, people, it has to be a conscious decision as well, because naturally we're wired to surround ourselves with people that are like-minded. So curious to hear your thoughts, you know, given that you obviously lead a team on the, the importance of stretching our echo chamber a little bit as well. Yes. I think that, yeah, diversity is obviously very, very important and it's it's diversity in every area, including diversity of thought. And I think sometimes diversity of thought gets lost a bit because if we hire our likeness, whether it's physical likeness or the way that we think likeness, then nothing's going to change because mm. you're just going to go down the same path. There's no, there's nothing to to diverge off the same track. So it's really important, I think, that we look at, you know, diversity in terms of the way that people are thinking, the, the, the approach that people are taking, the skills that they've got, and, and bringing them all into a group. And obviously, you, you make sure it's balanced so that you, you're, not, you're not necessarily all over the place. You've got to have a, a balance and a theme to it. But you definitely need to make sure in, in a group or a team that you have got that ability to Everyone's got a strength. Everyone's got a, a different way of, or maybe a, not a different way, but a, a different way of approaching the same problem. That's going to then open up a whole lot of other potential ideas that if you alone had hired your likeness would never have thought. And I, I, I mean, I, I am by no means the most, the smartest person in the room. I rely a lot, but where I am smart is I can, I can dig out that gold by asking the right questions and framing the situation perhaps in a different way so that people start to, to look at the outcomes differently. So, again, but that's what I'm really cognizant of is making sure that I'm hiring for diversity of thought and skills as much as anything. Mm, yeah, because there's so many missed opportunities, isn't there, when, yeah. when we don't do that. It might feel safer as the it's leader. Safe. It, it feels safe because I've got a bunch of people that are just going to agree with me. But... Yes there's a real missed opportunity isn't there in terms of innovation ideation our ability to solve problems really looking at it from different lenses whereas if we've got you know if we've, if we've really got that group think mentality we don't know what we don't know and we possibly are thinking to ourselves we're right. oh, really always aligned this is great but we're not getting anywhere we're not we're not achieving anything new we're not adding any more value than what we did yesterday and that's that's the key to it but I think the the thing we have to be mindful of is if we we do have that diverse team and whatever guys that is that we have to have a culture that actually embraces mm. difference in whatever form that be, that comes because sometimes you know, if you stand up and say oh I don't agree with this or mm, maybe there's a different way of doing it in some cultures that won't fly because the culture is not, we're not going to upset anything that's been done this way for this long. You're on the outer. So we've got to make sure that the culture that we've got around those teams is actually enabling those teams to perform. Spot on, spot on. What's right. that saying? Culture, it's strategy for breakfast. That's right, exactly. <laughs> so we can have all the diversity of opinion, all the ideas in the world, but if the culture's not set up and, and the culture's not enabling us to actually follow through on the diversity yes. of thought the the ideas that we've got different ways of doing things then then you're spot on it's, it's not going to happen and we then lose great people you lose people that's mm. right exactly. so Sarah curious we've spoken about self-awareness and, and and self-leadership and the power of that we've spoken about 
the power of connection and, and, and how that's become sort of, you know, more available to us than ever, but in some senses more difficult to, to get it in a genuine sense than ever. And we've spoken as well a little bit about this balance of, of commonalities in, in finding people that we build rapport with, but also really being aware of the power of diversity as well. So I'm curious to hear from you, what, what advice do you have for people that might be looking to build either more connection or for leaders that are looking to drive more connection in their teams to, to show up and lead themselves and their teams better? Like what would, what would your kind of one, two, three steps approach to that be? Mm. Again, it's a very good question. So I think, again, back to the, the theme of we have to do things a bit differently mm. now. I think uh, it, it, part of it is, is actually, and this sounds really basic, but it often doesn't happen. It's getting to know your team better. It's getting to understand them as humans, not just as, as workers. And I think we're getting better at that. But I think once you get to know people really at their core, and this all goes back to this whole conversation we've had about if you understand yourself, it's a lot easier for you to start to understand others. Once you get to know people and what, what they stand for and what their interests are, it's a lot easier to build connection with people, a lot easier. And then you, you, you're, you're navigating on a personal level as much as a, a business level. And, that again, that's all about part of building the trust and the rapport. So if the team member thinks or feels that that you know them as a human and you're going to treat them as a human first and an employee, employee second, then that changes the dynamic completely. So get to know your teams and, and your people in your teams. Some you'll that'll succeed with better than others, but that's my first tip. I think the other thing is don't be scared. And this, this doesn't matter if you're a leader or an individual or who you are, personal life or business life. Don't be scared to to reach out and, and make connections that perhaps prior to COVID you wouldn't have wouldn't have made. So again, whether that's you know joining a Facebook group where you're actually sharing ideas in a in a Facebook forum, for example, whether it's joining a sporting team, you've always wanted to play tennis and you're thinking, geez, one of my goals during COVID was to get fit. You know, tennis and, and meeting people go hand in hand. Whether it's reaching out to to people, ex-colleagues, I mean, I've got a lot of ex-colleagues that I've worked with over the years who we still share a lot in common with and sort of regrouping and seeing how they're going, seeing what challenge. And you'll find that the challenges that you're having are often exactly the same as someone else. So it's, it's understanding you're not alone. And there's probably a whole lot of people sitting there going, I think I'm alone in all this. As soon as you start to reach out, again, this ripple effect starts to take place. So I think we've got to be a bit more agile, flexible, less inclined to sort of cower away and say, oh, that's going outside my comfort zone. Put yourself out there because once you put yourself out there, all sorts of great things happen. Mm. I think that's great advice. I love three mm. three very practical pieces there around, you know, get to know your team, which I, which I agree with you. It's, it sounds like such an obvious thing, but, at this, but I think knowing and doing are two very different things. And for a lot of leaders, it's, they want to, but they get, we just get caught up in the busy, we get caught up in the meetings, we get caught up in the task and we forget that actually the, all the people that sit behind these tasks, these projects, these KPIs are. are human beings with families and friends and challenges and problems and feelings. And the more that we can humanise ourselves and, and, and the people that we work with, to your point, the more rapport we build, the more trust we build and then the easier it becomes to navigate those conversations as well so I much, love that much easier, particularly the difficult conversations mm. if you've built a rapport and they that person trusts you 
and trust your judgment and your objectivity, then having a difficult conversation is not nearly as difficult. Yes. Correct. Correct. And it's interesting, isn't it? I was, I was reading something the other day that was, that was sort of talking about loneliness and isolation. And, and it was sort of saying in terms of, you know, loneliness and isolation isn't just about literally being alone, right? Like there are a lot of people that are, that are in their own space on their own and they don't, they don't feel alone at all. They feel free and empowered. The, yes. the idea of, of feeling ice of feeling isolated and disconnected and alone is usually where we don't feel that we've got an outlet that feels safe and comfortable to feel the way I need to feel, to be the way I need to be, to and to be who I am. So the more environments that we can create for people or people to go out and find those environments for themselves, to your point around tip number two, don't be scared, go out and find something, mm. then those are the ways that we actually can solve the feeling of being disconnected and lonely because mm. there are a lot of people who love their own space. They wouldn't call themselves oh, yeah, lonely. I, I love my own space, but that doesn't mean that I don't. I'm a bit of a sort of a hybrid. I love mm. my own space under certain circumstances, but I also crave connection. Mm. And the other, and I think the one thing I've learned back to that whole point of, you know, you'd be amazed how many people are going through the same thing. You know, I, I'm lucky enough. I deal with colleagues all over the world, and I can I can tell you, I guarantee, I've had these conversations. They have the same fears. They have the same concerns and they have the same goals and dreams as, as I do. Just because they're geographically somewhere else, the other side of the world, we're all human. We all have, and it's just, it's about understanding that once you click, you join those dots, that's when that isolation goes away. Absolutely. Could not agree with you more. Now, I've got two more questions for you, Sarah. One, I ask all my guests and it's sort of a two-parter question. The first part is, and I'm very big on kind of sharing recommendations and tips, et cetera, as, as you well know. So, so this question is whether you have got a, a book that you can kind of feel like I know the answer to this one, but whether you've got a book that you can confidently mm-hmm. say has had an impact on your life. That's the first part. The second part as well is whether there is a, a quote or a piece of advice that you live by and you feel like that's, you know, it's something that's really stuck with you and has continued to help you throughout your career. Hmm. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my own book. That's of course. which is from surviving to thriving. But that that was more of a personal journey for me in the sense I wrote it, I put a lot of thought and and that was a sort of a personal, as far as experience, you know, I, I found a lot about myself. When you sit down to write a book, you find out a lot about yourself, apart from the content. So that's an aside. But I think one that, that sticks with me that's not one that I wrote is it's called The Speed of Trust, which is actually a Stephen Covey book. And, and Franklin Covey is a very big kind of training institution. But one of the things that they do, one of their training programs is The Speed of Trust. And I read the book and I also facilitated the training. And it, again, it's going back to the core of what we're saying. The trust is the foundation of every relationship. There's various ways you, you build that and, and, and just sort of out of interest, the two parts of trust are your character and your competence. And the two have to combine to be a trustworthy person. You have one without the other, but it means you're, you're, not, you're not quite there in terms of being a trusted individual. And, and the whole frame around this is that if you have a trusted community of people who are connected, then the speed at which everything happens, happens so much faster. So in an organisation and you think about it, you know, if things are a bit sluggish, a bit slow, things are going off the rails, it's possibly, apart from the fact that 
people you're dealing with, you just don't trust them. You don't trust them to get the job done. So it slows everything down. So that book was, again, was really, it's quite detailed but quite simple. And, and I, I, I really recommend anybody in, in business, in leadership, and, and, and people that aren't in leadership who are to being in leadership and are in teams should read that. It's a really, really good, solid book on, on trust because it's the core mm. of everything. Yeah, great recommendation. I will pop a link to that in the show notes. And I'll also pop a link to your own book in the show notes Thank as you. well. Thank so that's you. part it's, one. Yeah. Have you got a, is there another, a quote or a piece of advice that you like to live by as well? It's funny. When, when you asked me that question, I thought, oh, wow, there's so many great quotes I've seen over the years. But then I, I suddenly remembered when I was at school, you know, we had the, the, the I don't know, motto is the wrong word, but the, the sort of theme by which, by which my school focused and it was an all girls school and it was she conquers who conquers herself and at the time I didn't really get what that meant but because of this journey I've been on because of this whole self-awareness it's exactly what that is if you conquer your self-awareness you can conquer anything and I thought wow isn't that funny I've gone back x amount of years right back to my school days and that is more relevant now than ever. It's fabulous. That is a fabulous quote. And you're spot on. It ties back into everything that we've really been talking about. I can see why. <laughs> Do what I know. You know, that many years ago, that I'd be saying this now in 2022. Yeah. So, but that's one that it, it's so true and so simple. Fantastic. Fantastic. And last question for me, I'm sure there will be people that would love to connect with you following our conversation today. So what is the best way for people to get in touch with you, Sarah? I think Claire via LinkedIn. So my LinkedIn profile, it's it's up there. Love to connect with people. As I say, it's all about connection today and building rapport. And I'm always very keen to meet people and, you know, share common interests as, as much as the diversity that we've talked about as well. Fantastic. Well, I will pop a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. So for anybody that wants to reach out, connect with you, ask you any questions, I'm sure that they will be in touch. But thank you so much, Sarah for being on the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast today and talking with me about all things self-leadership and connection and the power of the two together. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And thank you, Claire, very much for the opportunity. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, that's it for another episode of the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. It has been amazing to have you here and I am always so grateful for you taking the time to pop me in your ears as you go about your day or night. Remember to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Eating Your Cake 2. And if we aren't connected on LinkedIn yet, reach out and say hi. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then I would love if you would leave a review so that others can find the podcast and come and hang out with me here too. Until next episode, you've got this. You can do it. You are doing it. And remember to back yourself and what you have to offer. Hey there, thanks for hanging on and thank you again so much for listening to the podcast. I truly love having you with me, but I want to make sure that you know if you're ready to work together exactly how we can do it. The first way is through my game-changing Transform Your Career six-week accelerator program. This six-week online program is for busy professional women who are ready to regain control of their career and leadership once and for all. Go from feeling like just another employee to an in-demand asset in your company. 
stop feeling lost, stuck and unmotivated and instead feel confident, worthy of earning more and armed with the tools to go out and get what you want. The Transform Your Career Accelerator cuts the crap and gets right to the key levers that you need to be pulling to ensure you are seen, heard and noticed at work. Add to this an epic group of like-minded women all coming together to share insights, learnings and to build a new network along the way. If this sounds like something you need, then join the waitlist now. The link is in the show notes. The second way you can work with me is through my private one-on-one coaching program, where I only take a very limited number of clients each year by application. My six-month private programs are for you if you know you need tailored coaching and guidance now. You want a container of space and time just for you to work through your exclusive and unique goals. You don't want to wait for the waitlist in my other programs because you know you want access to my brain and my experience all to yourself. If this sounds like you, then book a free call in my diary today and let's chat. Lastly, if you want me in your organization to come and share my tried and tested knowledge with your team on how we can all collectively elevate our own leadership and career success, then jump on my website and download the services info pack or grab it from the link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening.